Good morning, Sunrise. Welcome to church on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's good to be here together with you, worshiping with you, hearing from God together. Why don't you guys stand with us as we prepare for worship. Um, before we start this first song, I wanted to read a couple of scriptures, kind of set our minds in the right direction. Hear these uh, few different scriptures from all over the Bible. The first being from Jeremiah. Hear these words. Ah, Lord God. It is you who have made heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. And from Luke, for nothing will be impossible with God. And lastly, Matthew. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So as we sing this first song this morning together, let's believe that, that with God, all things are possible. No matter what you're facing today or what may be coming in your future, with God, all things are possible. Let's sing together. Let faith arise, let all agree, 
there's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all the Oh 
you are faithful. You are faithful, God. We trust in you. And God, as we enter this new season as a church, or we're in transition in between pastures, God, we trust you. You have led us before and you will lead us now. So God, we, we trust in you. We put all of our anxiety, all our worries, we place that down in your feet, Jesus. This is not by our strength, but it's by yours, God. Nothing is impossible for you. God, we believe those promises, those words from Scripture we just sang this morning. They aren't just lip service, but God, we hold on to those truths. We believe them. There's nothing you can do. You are faithful. You are our firm foundation. We stand upon you. We trust in you. So God, continue to guide us. Lead us as a church. Lead us individually. If there are struggles or things that we're facing, God, we just lay those down at your feet right now. Trust that you will guide us through. Thank you for your love, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Hey, good morning, Sunrise. Good morning. I love that. So my little praises this morning is kind daughters of Eve, gentle sons of Adam, living in the Garden of Sunrise. Hey, if you're new, we hope you'll come back. If you're new here today, we're glad you came. If you're online and watching, we're glad you're doing that. We'd like to connect with you, so we have a, a QR code that'll do a whole bunch of funny things to your phone or your device, but uh, go ahead, <laughs> scan that baby. And we also have a, a welcome table in the back. Uh, check in out there, and uh, somebody will help you. You can score some nifty swag. We used to call it at trade shows. You want some swag? I want some swag. So, anyway. <laughs> All right, so today we have our town hall meeting. Sounds kind of cool. The, the, the Garden of Sunrise is going to have a town hall meeting right here, right after the service. So hang around, sit and listen to uh, people talk about our vision, the budget, and how we're going to handle searching for uh, another guy like Dan Fisher. Hey, so if you have little ones, Audra Kotman runs a really cool playdate thing at her house. Uh, and there's another one coming up this coming Tuesday at Audra's house. They live uh, not too far away. And if you'd like to get her address or get connected, her email is audra.cotman with a K at gmail.com. And that's in the Facebook page, the church page, etc. But connect with Audra. And then there's another one coming up on uh, Friday, June 24th as well at Cotman. So your kids will have fun. If you have older kids, you want to make sure that Wednesday night they go to Hager Park. Uh, Tanner's going to run a, a program up there. It's going to be fun. Pizza, mosquitoes, <laughs> games, mosquitoes. <laughs> and they're going to welcome the incoming sixth graders. So if you have a, a fifth grader that's longing to move forward in life, make sure they come Wednesday night. So this is the Garden of Sunrise A.D., Mary and I followed Dan and Stephanie from Ridgepoint back in January of 2020, and uh, it was cool. It was, it was neat to be a part of a small church where people know your name, and uh, that's been true ever since. It's really neat. So 
we're glad we're here. We love the mission, the culture, the environment here at the Garden of Sunrise. So we plan to stay. We hope you will too. All right. Hey, so this is the time for young kids to scramble, head on out, go have fun on the other end of the building, more fun than you'll have here. <laughs> and for the rest of us, we're going to stand up. You get three minutes to go mingle. So do some mingling and uh, have fun with that. You guys can head back to your seats. We're going to get rolling. All the people online are just sitting on their couches in silence, waiting for us to stop talking. <laughs> Well, this morning, um, we welcome Al Gemmon to be our speaker for this morning, so we're excited to have them. Al, you and your wife, um, info I have, you guys are friends of Kate Jansen's, yeah. and um, you guys are missionaries with Interchange. So tell us a yep. little bit about what that is, what that ministry is. Yeah, so we moved to Miami in 2015, and we were doing urban ministry in Miami in a Haitian neighborhood. So an incarnational style, live among the people and serve where you're living. And we did that for five years and then came to a transition point. And the short story is we moved back to West Michigan summer 2020, best year to make big transitions. <laughs> and so now we live in Wyoming and our neighborhood is predominantly Hispanic. And so we've been there almost, almost two years now. So now we're serving in that community doing similar neighborhood style ministry. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. We're thankful to have you here and excited to hear a little bit more. So thanks, Al. Yeah. Yeah, good to be with you all. After Byron got up, I decided I didn't want to speak anymore. <laughs> I was just going to have him talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> so I, I didn't know this, but when we were praying before the service, I realized that you all are in a pretty significant time of transition. And as, well, yeah, this, this last season for anybody, transition is, is a challenge. So I thought we could start this way. I'd, I'd like just, just to have a little bit of silence, and I'm curious if you guys could look at some of these um, tiles or whatever you call them, and maybe grab onto one of those attributes of what God is doing in a few moments, and just pause, maybe grab one, write it down, or just put one in your head or in your heart. And let's, just sit, let's just sit in silence before the Lord and recognize who he is. Let's take a few moments. Lord, there are some prayers and some times of life that we don't have the words. But your words are given to us through scripture and through the stories that we've been taught and that we're learning. So I pray that in these moments for this community, for this worshiping body, that these, these strong promises would come to our minds and forefronts. And maybe that's the whole sermon today. There's a few words reminded to us by your word. 
We pray that you would commit these to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Just real quick, does anybody want to say which one jumped out at them? Pentecost. Pentecost. Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Messiah. Messiah. Calm the storm. Calm the storm. Man, I, yeah, that's, I think it's timely, so we just, I really pray for you all as you're in this time, because it is not easy. Praying for leaders and, and all of you just through this, so, Lord, we commit that to you. So, yeah, I, my wife and I, they're over there, um, they're visitors, I won't have them stand, but we grew up in West Michigan, I grew up in Allendale, Lisa grew up in Hudsonville, and we did, oh, I should say this, it's not the hardware. <laughs> I'm not even close enough to get a discount. So when Alfred Gemmon started the hardware, my grandpa started a meat business out in Allendale. So um, that's where I come from. So we're doing missions. We're doing urban missions in Grand Rapids right now, and I also work part-time um, out in Allendale. So Dan mentioned we met Kate Jansen, and we were doing urban youth work downtown Hudsonville. <laughs> you do not want to be there past 10 <laughs> on a weekday. Seriously, because there's nothing going on. There's nothing <laughs> happening. Um, and we've had different experiences. We, we went to Kuiper College. That's where we got to know her, and, and she helped in that ministry with us. It was really great. Um, we did different ministry at a couple different churches around the country. Then we ended up moving to Miami and doing urban, like I mentioned, urban uh, work in a Haitian neighborhood there for five years. It was very intense. And then moved back to Wyoming, Michigan in 2020. And now we're doing missionary work in West Michigan. And even as I say that, I think, how, how is that, what does that even look like? How can that even be? Like West Michigan, so many churches, so much, so many publishing companies, so many colleges, and the passage that we're going to look at today kind of, kind of unpacks that. It's been a big part of our, of our calling. But the stories go, and they change, and it's sometimes weird and sometimes messy, and yet here we are. So if you have a Bible, please open or on your app or whatever to Luke 15. We're going to read a story there about something that Jesus taught. It gives us a little bit of a window into his heart, his passion. Luke chapter 15, we'll just read the first seven verses. But as as I'm reading it or you're following along, maybe put yourself in that room or in that backyard or whatever it is, wherever you imagine it. Let's go there together. Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate our minds through the power of your spirit, through your word. Thank you for it. Thank you for the presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just like as you imagine, this asking you to use your imaginations today, you're in this group, or you're in with Jesus and you see what's going on. You see, according to the passage, that there's two groups of people there. So you have the tax collectors and sinners, and then you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we won't go into a lot about these groups of people. If you've been around church for a while, you kind of know who's who and, and how it works. So you have two responses to what's going on. You have, you have a group gathering towards Jesus. My favorite illustration of this is like, is like concerts where people would gather up towards the front. Anybody remember mocha and music? Ah, oh, Seriously? Yes. I mean, okay, no, I can't, no. (laughs) Moken music, low key, but you're there. Oh, you guys, you're drinking the coffee, a scone. What is it? Nobody knows, but you're eating. You're gathering there for the music. How about, this is going to really tell who's who here. Um, The ground floor over at Res Life. Oh, you guys, they put on so many concerts. Any of you went there? Ever? Yeah. I, I, see, I see those hands. We may have gathered together near that stage, wearing each other's sweat, just punching towards the front, but you're gathering towards to hear something. You're pushing forward. You want to get as much of the experience as possible. That's the one group. You have this other group, and what are they doing? They're muttering. Now, I came up with this great analogy, this great picture of what it would look like for somebody to mutter, and it involves my almost teenage daughter. So picture me telling a really good joke among this person. I'm not going to say who it is. This daughter of mine who's almost 13, her friends, and I tell a super funny and really embarrassing joke. Imagine what she would do if I was doing that. And then I thought, you know what would be even better illustration is if my 15-year-old son would do an impression of my almost 13-year-old doing it and how unimpressed she was. So just picture that in your mind. (laughs) That's what it looks like to mutter. (laughs) I could not get her to come up and do do this for anything. All right, so here's the crazy part. That's all that you get from the part of the story. That's the only thing. Then Jesus tells the parables. In fact, it says, then Jesus continued. He doesn't even say, you know, you guys are doing this or you're doing that and that's wrong and I'm going to tell you why it's wrong. He doesn't even do that. He goes immediately from observing the setting into the parable. He doesn't address either group. He doesn't even point out the problem, but he goes into this parable and he says, then, or maybe your translation says, so, it's a transition word. 
and he tells three stories. We only read one. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son, or the two lost sons, however you want us to see it. So he tells these three stories. So we have the advantage of knowing what the text says, but they, being there, didn't know that. So they're trying to figure out while he's talking, why is he telling three stories that have the same point? So as you imagine the setting, why would you tell something three times to get a point across? Yeah, it's important to get the point across or a memory. It's really important to communicate it. There's something there. I think another thing, something he does is he tells three, he tells the story, but he tells it in three different ways. So we use three different parables. So for a, a, a pastor or a speaker or whatever, where you're, you're giving a talk of some time, you want to use illustrations. And based on your illustrations, you find out how are you connecting with your audience. So I'm looking, so, so you guys, you know this, I've done this so many times where you're listening to a sermon or a talk or something at work or a school class, and you are zoned out. You are not paying attention. Has anyone been there? Are the, de- are the elders raising? Elders are watching. Good. There's one. Okay. So, so when a, when, in the church setting, a pastor will, will give an illustration to bring people back into the context. And so if you're into whatever he's, he or she is talking about, you'd be like, oh, I know about that. So like in this case, I could say, this next, parab- or this next story I'm going to tell you has something to do with juggling. Nobody. This next story I'm going to tell has much to do with the phases of the moon. Are you got a sports group? <laughs> you, eva- you, know, are, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like, when, when you hear something you connect with, you pay attention. So Jesus, I think that's part of his brilliant teaching strategy here today. He gives a parable of the lost sheep, which is sort of like a business situation where you've lost something that has worth. So if you're a business person and you've lost something, like, okay, I can listen to that. Or the second one is the parable of the lost coin. The, the woman loses something of great value. So I mean, just imagine you've lost something, your phone or, or an email or something, like you have this tension, like there's this feeling that you lost something. And then the third one the parable of the lost son, like for me, that would be, if, G, if, if I was listening to somebody who's talking about something happening to my kids, I would really connect. So you see the brilliance of his teaching. So as we go into this parable, a, a really important thing to remember is, do you understand the concept of something being lost? Maybe it's one of these three, or maybe it's something else that you have lost. So just think about that for a minute, because if, if you get that in your head, you can understand the story. Okay. I, I really like this story, by the way, you guys. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Okay. So Jesus, in his unique teaching style, goes into the passage that we read. And he does something that I call, he creates like tension. He creates this moment of angst. And he says, 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So if you're a shepherd and Jesus says this, this is a rhetorical question, right? Like, of course I would go get them. It's a sheep, it's worth money to me, it's wool, it's meat, etc. But he creates this moment that makes his hearers sort of like, there's a, there's a moment of, oh yeah, if that happened to me, what would I do? He creates this moment. Like, like he says something where things are they're not as they should be. And it demands some kind of action or response. When he does this, he's giving his, his hearers an opportunity to learn something because they're like churned up inside. I wonder if you've ever had that. Because the shepherds would be like, of course. Of course we would go. So he says like, all right, you got a sheep that's lost. Who of you would not go? He says it's, it's a rhetorical situation. They respond, absolutely. Like they're thinking, absolutely. So the problem, he says, in verse 4, does he not leave the 99 in the open country? So the sheep is lost. The plan is that the shepherd would go after him. It's sort of an A and then a B. It seems fairly simple. You've lost something. You go get it. That could have been the end of the parable. As I was reading this and trying to imagine being in that situation, I was thinking, I don't understand what it's like to be a shepherd, really at all. Like, my picture, I picture you hop on the quad, you go get it. It's a 20-minute it's a, it's a thing, right? So in your imagination, picture yourself in the first century in the Middle East where Jesus is teaching and try to picture what a shepherd was like in those days. So let me ask you, shout it out, what do you know about a shepherd in the first century, when Jesus was talking, what would they have pictured? A staff. A staff, yes. And what is a staff used for? Tending, hurting, grabbing. Grab, yep, tending or hurting or grabbing. What else? Think Psalm 23 if you need like some... Some cues. He's, yeah, walking. They're walking places, slow going. Psalm 23, comfort. Comfort to the sheep. There's two items in Psalm 23 that are mentioned that a shepherd uses. It was a staff, and what was the first one? A rod. You all know what a rod was used for. Is a weapon. So you got the, you got the um, hook thing to, to grab sheep and walk with and stuff, and then the, then the rod is like to, to fight off wild creatures and such. When a, when a, when a shepherd goes out to look to, for the sheep, are the sheep always standing in like perfect view? Of course not. What are they doing? They're hiding. And so like you got these bushes that are like this tall and like this. And so the sheep are kind of hiding around. So a shepherd has to go into these places and try to find them. A shepherd has to bring along with them provisions or something to kill, food, or cook it, and all this stuff. 
A shepherd's going to be wearing some kind of cloak to protect them from the weather, to sleep on maybe. A shepherd is going to be very focused on his his or her task. I don't know if there was women shepherds. I have no idea. Their task to find the sheep. So they remembered why they were out there. If a shepherd went out to look for a sheep and forgot they were a shepherd and came back, and the dad's like, hey, where's the sheep? I'm not a shepherd anymore. That would be super weird and not great for the sheep. So a shepherd remembers what his purpose is. Now, I have something to show you. Not yet. I have something to show you, okay? When you think of what I've described... Does this describe the precious moments, shepherd? No. This describes some type of warrior, leather-faced, tried and true, probably young, but has been through a lot of stuff and has had to do battle. It's like a, a combination between a gladiator and Jason Bourne. There's skills that he has to accomplish this task. And in my research, I found an actual picture of a shepherd from the first century. Go ahead. There he is. <laughs> Look at that guy. If I were a sheep, I found that. I'm like, how is that even on the internet? <laughs> no, that's a terrible example of a shepherd, you guys. But I think that's sort of what we think of when we think of shepherd. But when we understand the context, this person was very familiar with hardships. He was very familiar with commitment. He had skills. He had tools to do his job. Thank you. We practiced that. It was, we nailed it. Okay, so that's, that's what Jesus talks about. But remember, the parable isn't advice on being a good shepherd. It's a connection with some meaning, some truth that his hearers need to learn. Uh, what is that phrase we learned? A, a, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay. So the problem that he presents to this group is that there are people who are not in the family of God. Some who are in and some who are out. Some have wandered off. As a response, he says, some are lost. Okay, so I, I was thinking about the term lost. The, that term doesn't fit That doesn't feel great to me, lost, but that's the term Jesus uses. He says later in Luke 19, the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. So we're going to skip with it, because Jesus said it, and I like it. So the challenge is many people today, well, this this is what Jesus is presenting, many people today have wandered away from the truth somehow in this world, in this community. And, and, and he presents this. And he, like I mentioned before, he creates this tension inside of us. Like when I say that, what, what are you feeling inside of yourself? Like you agree with it or you disagree with it or maybe you are that person. But you don't want to tell anybody you feel that way. There's some tension. But there should be a response. But it it presents two questions for us as the church and as believers. So, I would say this to you all. Do you think there are lost people 
in the world today? Okay. Do you think there are lost people in this community today? Okay. See, I was hoping you'd say no because then we could go on with our day. We don't have to worry about it anymore. But we're all in agreement. So then we have to ask why because I'm coming down Baldwin Street, you guys. There is a lot of churches. And we grew up in West Michigan. We, we understand the culture. Even in our neighborhood, there's lots of churches. So why is it, if there's so many churches, that there's still people who don't have the saving message of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him? That is the question. So as part of our mission work, I been, I've been interviewing pastors in the area to sort of survey how, people, how ministry leaders feel about in the, in the Western Michigan area. And I, and I present this question to them. A couple responses I've gotten. One, we live in a, re- this is for real, we live in a reached community. That was, a, that was one comment I got. Um, another comment was that we've gotten used to the idea of one sheep being lost. Yikes. Another one is, one of my friends, she said, she said I, I know it's true, but I have no idea what to do about it. And then this one, this one I've also heard a few times is, if, if people wanted to go to church, they could go. So... <laughs> So imagine, like, imagine you're listening to Jesus speak about this parable. And you're like, hey, Jesus, great story. But if the sheep wanted to be in the fold, he could just come back. False. That's not how it works. So when I hear these, when I hear these responses, these are legitimate responses. These are actual responses. But are they legitimate? Like, are they, do they hold any weight? And I mean, honestly, I think this way sometimes, like, you know, what, what can I do? What, I, what should I do? So I just thought of this. If Jesus was standing here today in this church at the Hager Park or just around, would he tell this parable because he thought it had relevance? I believe he probably would. So the problem, as Jesus presents, is like in the first example. The sheep was gone. In this case, there are people that are not walking with the Lord, and they don't have that hope. So what's the plan? The plan is, in the parable, it's implied that Jesus is the perfect shepherd, and he goes after the lost. Look at the example of the shepherd. You mentioned protection. Like This is, this is who often we think of in the hospital moments in Psalm 23, in the funeral moments, that that's who is walking with us, the good shepherd. So as our example, the shepherd, now that he has gone to heaven, whose responsibility, rhetorical question, would it be to now go after the lost? Us. Us. Okay. That's what I thought too. So if you go back to the verse, verse 4, the end of verse 4, go after the lost sheep until he finds it. So I'm saying, like, do we have the same commitment as 
the shepherds in his story. That's tough, isn't it? Because I, I definitely do not. I do sometimes. Sometimes I'm tired and I want to take a nap. Sometimes I want to do something else. But maybe in our hearts, where, where the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, maybe we think, like one of the pastors mentioned, that everybody's been reached. Maybe we don't feel equipped, like my other friend. I think that's probably pretty common. Because if you, if you ask for volunteers to go door-to-door and talk to people about Jesus, you don't get a lot of responses. One of the reasons is because people feel really intimidated. Like, what if people say something that we don't know how to answer? Or what if there's some spiritual warfare stuff? We ran into that in Miami, and we were not, not prepared. Or what if I'm super awkward socially? I mean, I can't help you with that. That's just, for, just maybe you. Okay, so Paul gives this, he says this, I won't, I won't quote it exactly right, but he says, I become all things to all people so that by all means some may be reached. Okay, so if you find yourself in a context that is intimidating or strange, do a little bit of research. So our context in Wyoming, 50% of our neighbors are Hispanic, Spanish-speaking so I've been spending lots of time on Duolingo. So I know how to tell people that I need a suitcase, a bus ticket. <laughs> I'm very hungry. I mean, I was silly, but you get what I'm saying. Like, spend some time learning your context. We also have a lot of homeless people that hang out in that part. So for me, talk to some people that work for Mel Trotter or other people that have done ministry among the homeless. Get yourself some tools. Okay, so you're in, you're in Jenison. Maybe your context is different than ours. Maybe it's not. I don't really know. But maybe you mostly work among Dutch people. So you need to learn the art of casserole making. How do you take cream of mushroom soup in Miami is in the ethnic aisle. Family fair, it's like cream of whatever. It's like the next level to heaven. Then you go to heaven. Cream of whatever and then heaven. Learn whatever it is that is your context. So here's something that I know. I, I actually don't. Are you guys connected with the RCA? Or is this independent? I have no idea. Non-denomination. Okay. So I'm guessing that some of you have some like CRC, RCA roots, okay? Now, I might be stepping on some toes here, but I'm a guest, and I'm, <laughs> I get to leave at church. But in the Dutch context, one of, the, one of the barriers to people in faith is guilt and shame. And often, this is brought on by somebody's church experience. How do you handle that as a follower of Christ? That would be a stepping stone into a lot of conversations in a context where there's people that are thinking that. Maybe you, maybe you are in that. I know I struggle with that, absolutely. Okay, so we, don't, we maybe think everybody's already reached. We don't feel equipped. Maybe we don't understand the value. I want to tell you this really quickly 
I know every, when everybody says that, it's never quick. But I found this illustration, and it made a lot of sense. We don't understand the true value of that lost sheep, perhaps. And to understand this value, I found this story of this guy. Maybe you heard of him. He was this guy, um, a British man who lost a hard drive with uh, some Bitcoin. 7,500 Bitcoin. Did you hear about this guy? So the guy threw away his two hard drives, and he found out later one of them had 7,500 Bitcoin on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how much is that? And I looked it up. Oh, okay. So, so this is what the guy does. He, 35-year-old IT engineer from Newport, Wales. So he, he goes to the city dump, and he requests permission to start digging. Okay, you've been to a city dump or seen it. There's lots going on in a city dump. Like, but, he, but he looks at this, <clears throat> and he decides, I don't care because I'm going to figure out how to find it. Because if I can find it, that's $280 million. Okay? Now, to be fair, this, when this story came out, it was in January 16 of 2021. I looked it up this morning, and it's only $220 million. So maybe it's not worth it. I don't know. I'm just saying, Whatever. So the guy's talking to the city. He offered to give them hundreds of thousands of dollars for their city if he could go in there and start digging. He contacted um, people from all over the world that have done research, deep sea, like sonar, all these things. He's talked to different countries, governments. He's tried to buy his way in. I mean, he probably would dig with a shovel, you guys. And he was so committed. Look it up. It's, I'm not making this up. He just like so committed because he knows the value of what he lost. Let that sink in a little bit. Maybe we forget that we're supposed to be bringing the good news to people. I do that sometimes. Maybe you throw an event, some kind of outreach, lots of people come in. It's great. There's kids, backpacks, there's food, there's lots of things. There's community building, which is really important, but maybe the name of Jesus never comes up. We go out in the street often. It's much easier for me to talk about the weather than it is to talk about Jesus. So I, as I'm preparing this, I'm like, don't forget the main reason you go out is to bring that news, that, that hope. Okay, so how do we know that these things and these three parables, how do we know that they are of such high value? Look back at our text. Of course, in in the story that we were looking at, he goes out and he finds a sheep. He brings them home. He calls all his friends and neighbors, throws a big party. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In the next story, where the woman lost the coin, she finds it. And verse 9, she says, And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And the third story of the prodigal son, the son that, that went away, it's a familiar story, but uh, let's see, verse 
22. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put, on a, ring, put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's how you know the value of what is lost. The celebration that follows when it's found. This is rejoicing, not muttering. So, we've been talking about the lost, the people out there somewhere. But maybe today, as you're sitting here, you don't really feel that celebrated in your relationship with Christ. Maybe that peace is what you've wandered away from. There's a guy in our neighborhood who um, we've gotten to know, and he doesn't want to go to church. Not, that's not uncommon. But I said to him, why? Like what, you know, just tell me why. After we got to know him a little bit, he just said, you know, a bunch of hypocrites, you know, that's pretty normal. And I just, I just, I had a bad experience with church, and I don't need to be there. What's interesting about that objection to church is it doesn't mention Jesus at all. And I completely can understand being upset with the system and upset with the religion and upset with a specific church. And maybe you're feeling that now. Maybe you're feeling, and this has been a wild season for church, hasn't it? Have you sat and thought about, meditate, meditated on your value in the face of Christ and because of what he did? The conclusion really is that you and I are that lost sheep. Jesus knew, like the shepherd, what he had to do to seek and save the lost. He knew what it would cost. John 3.16, my grandpa, he passed away um, a number of years ago, but he was like this in his faith, just all over the place. But his final best verse, life verse, was John 3.16. After all of those, after all of that, God gave his one and only son. Whoever believes, not perish, would have everlasting life. Jesus knew what he had to do. He knew the value and the cost. I read in studying that the rabbis in those days taught that, Jesus, that God would welcome a penitent sinner, but Jesus taught that God seeks out the sinner. Do we treat ourselves more like Jesus treats us, or do we treat ourselves more like the rabbis would treat us? Final thought. As you look at these words, these promises, as you look at your own life here today in Jenison, in this mission field, how do you feel knowing that Jesus pursues you with the same commitment and tenacity of the shepherds of that parable? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are humbled that you would write these stories of truth and hope, and that we could stand here and talk about them without fear of persecution. We ask that in this time, in our lives, in our hearts, that we would be made to believe how valuable we are to you and what you went through with your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead and your pouring out of the Holy Spirit where we are seated before you. And we would take that same passion with great gratitude to the lost sheep of this community. There are all over the world, but I just, I ask for uh, maybe a name for people right now. Somebody, somebody that you can use us to reach. Everybody's got different things going on in different environments and school and work and home and whatever. Bring that name, Lord. Well, how, can we, how, can we, how can we bring hope to them? And we thank you for your unending love. In Jesus' name, amen. take the next few minutes to respond, respond to God and what he's been speaking to our hearts. And we're going to respond in song or we'll respond um, in a worship, but also by giving of our tithes and offerings, another act of worship. Um, so we can do that online. We can do that um, in the bucket that's on the table in the way, on the back on the way out, or you can even get up during the song and put your tithes in the, in the bucket back there. But let's just stay in this this mindset of worship as we sing and give.
sends us out with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you guys. <laughs>